Well, you can get lost. Anybody ever said that to you? You can get lost. You can get lost. There's an ancient practice. Younger people, I'm talking to you. You, you might not be aware of this, but it, it's still around today. Some of the elders practice this ritual. They give each other directions. Yeah, it's true. It's like, well, we live down on River Road, and if you go past that tulip poplar and uh, head down maybe another quarter mile, take a left at the, uh, at the white fence, it, it, the, the top rail is sort of knocked down. You, you can't miss it. You've heard that? You can't miss it. All my life, I've missed it. I think I'm directionally dyslexic. I can walk out of a, uh, is there such a thing? I don't know. Maybe some of the medical people can tell me later but what, uh, what, what is fully wrong with me. But I can walk out of a, a hospital room, for example, and I feel like the elevator is back to the right. And so I will turn left and I'll be right every time. I'll be correct. I think I'm a little directionally dyslexic. You can get lost. You can get lost in your thoughts. You can get lost in a museum. You know, uh, my wife Beth and I went to a museum this past year. There were 80,000 items on display. 80,000. And where do you start? We had a tour guide who walked us around to what he thought were the 10 most notable items in that whole place. That was wonderful. You can get lost. You can get lost in your career. You can get lost wondering, now why did I get into this in the first place? You can get lost. You know, the one way that Christians have found their way again after they've gotten lost is their call. Every one of you is called. Now, first of all, we're called to follow. We're called to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And those two words changed the world. So we're, we're called to follow. But in a way, if you think about the words profession or vocation, a lot of what you spend your time doing is part of that call. It's, it's really an answer to the call. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about your shape, the shape of your life, the shape of you, the shape for ministry and mission, the shape of God's call on your life, that every one of us has a unique gifting, uh, spiritual gifts. Every one of us has a heart for something. All of us have abilities, natural abilities or God-given abilities, not just spiritual gifts, but abilities that emerge as fruit of your life. Every one of us has a personality and we all have experiences. And from here until Memorial Day, we're gonna be talking about your unique shape for mission so that you fit within what God is doing in our time. We're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. And what we're going to see there in verses 8 to 12 is in anticipation of the next chapter. It's exemplary of what 
the writer of Hebrews calls a great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses. Your call, your call can help you bear witness to the hope that you have within. The full-orbed nature of life, every part of you can be part of bearing witness. From the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. Hear God's Word this morning. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, and so I pray for a restlessness of heart for everyone who is living apart from their call. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so how do you find your way through life's twists? You can get lost in those twists. You can get lost in life's turns. You can get lost by disappointments and detours. You can get lost. How do you find your way again? And the answer is your call. I think if I were to summarize my call, I'm called to help people grow. I mean, just, just, this is just sort of scribbling it out this morning. I'm called to help people grow, called to help people grow by giving them a, a sense of curiosity for truth, a hunger for beauty, and uh, direction by the good. Goodness and truth and beauty figure over and over again in the things that I talk about. I'm called to help people grow. What If you were to just take a little piece of paper and say, this is my call, this is what I feel called to do, could you put it into the English language? Could you put words on it that say, this is, this is the focus of my life, that I can say no to these things, I can say yes to this, because I feel this is my call. This is the target I'm called to hit. We're going to be thinking about that over these weeks, but this morning we're just going to focus in on how every one of us is called outward to leave things better. That's it. Every one of us is called outward to leave things better. First, everyone is called. We're all called. Verse 8 is about call. Abraham, well, he was Abram at the time. Abram was called. 
He was called, and then he was called in such a way that he was even renamed into Abraham, father of nations. It was kind of, a, it was, it was kind of ironic because, you know, he was so old and, and couldn't imagine that there was any kind of future. In fact, the only thing that he had to hold on to was his past. What he knew was the security of the place where he lived, but he was called to a place. He didn't even know where he was going. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. It doesn't mean that you're gonna leave Thomasville, but it may mean that, that there's, you've come to the end of a season. Maybe you've come to the end of a relationship. Maybe you've come to the end of a, of a job. Maybe you've come to the end of your frustration with a pattern in your life. And you're saying, Lord, shake this up. Show me, get me back out of these twists. Get me back on a path. Every one of us is called. And, and like, we've, like we said in the, in the early part of the year, that God's word is a, a foot lamp. We don't, he doesn't always give us like this Q-beam, this, this headlights uh, view down the path. A lot of times it's just the next step. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he set out because he was called. In other words, he, he let go of what was securing him, the past that he knew, the family, the obligations that he had. I mean, imagine that. There, there was no, this was his social security. His social security was his support system where he lived. And there were some obligations that he was the social security for the older generations where he, where he was and, and, and everybody who was counting on him, but he was called and he gave all that up because he believed that God had a claim on his life. That's what it means to be called. What it means to be called is that somebody else has a claim to your life. You know, you didn't even name yourself, right? Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, of course you knew that. You go by a name that you didn't choose. Somebody else named you. All your life, people call you by a name that somebody else. You see, Abraham understood that somebody else had a claim to his life. There, there are three basic postures that we can have in life when it comes to whose we belong to. Do we belong to me? Do, do you belong to yourself? Do you belong to somebody else? Do you belong to nobody? You know, that, that, that pretty much sums it up. There's, there's East, there's West, and there's Christian. Let's, let's think about the West for a minute. What does the West say? The West says, you're, you, you belong to you. Do it yourself. D-Y-I. The, the, the problem with D-Y-I, doing it yourself, that you belong to you is, uh, it starts to show up, you know, the, the cracks in that program start to show up even in something as simple as, as getting married, right? You've heard two become one, right, in marriage? I heard about somebody who said, yeah, I've always heard that two become one. And then as the, as the wedding day approached, I started to think to myself, I started to sweat, I started to get nervous. I started to wonder, well, which one? <laughs> I heard about a woman who made sense of it. She said, well, we, all, we understand which one, my husband and I. We understand which one, she said. She said, we both get along so well because each of us is in love with the same man. <laughs> there are cracks in this problem of DYI. 
And we believe we belong to ourselves. There's a problem with that. Because somebody else has a claim to your life. Even some of the people around you who are counting on you, they have a claim on you. You don't belong just to yourself. But, but you know, the East, that, so that's the West. And, and that's really, you can summarize that as just sort of the secular West, right? Apart from Christ, we belong to ourselves. That's, that's secularism. But there's an Eastern philosophy. And it basically just says, forget yourself. Forget about it, right? Just forget it. Forget you. Forget it. Forget yourself, right? What does that look like? Well, imagine a woman or a man... And they're always just so ready to help, so eager to, to pitch in, so, so desirous to please and, and wanting everything to go well. And, and, and then, but then imagine that this isn't coming from a great place. This isn't coming from a, a place of love. This isn't coming from a place of service or a desire for you, but it's really a place of fear, a fear of being rejected, a fear of being discounted, a fear of being invisible, and so he or she is just constantly being whittled away by everybody's demands on her life, on his life. You can die to the wrong things. You can get lost, even in service. That's the Eastern philosophy. You can see it around us. So what is, what's the Christian posture towards life? And that, that's, that's what you see with Abraham. Abraham had a self to lose. You say, well, you know, Tim, it sounds like, you know, in that last example, you know, isn't that what we're called to do? You know, Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah, that's true. But we have to have a self to deny you can die to the wrong things. You can, it, when Jesus said, deny yourself, he's not saying just forget yourself that there isn't a self. He's saying, deny your self-centeredness. Deny that you belong only to yourself. Deny that there's not something bigger that you're called to be a part of. Deny the, the, the selfish ambition and vain conceit. But you have to have a self to deny. I love uh, this expression from Bear Bryant. Now, I, I know y'all aren't Alabama fans in here, but everybody loves Bear Bryant, right? I mean, you know, his, his inimitable, uh, you know, shark's tooth fedora and, and his, his, uh, his buttoned-up ways. Um, there, there's some grumbling in the, in the uh, crowd here, those of you who are watching. Uh, there's some grumbling over in the... Uh, in the peanut gallery here, um, I'm not convincing some of these Georgia fans that it's okay to like Bear Bryant. But, but Bear Bryant said this, and, and this really illustrates for me what it means to deny yourself in such a way that you have a self to deny. He said, here's what it takes to win a football game. He said this, if something goes wrong, I did it. If something goes pretty well, we did it. If something goes great, you did it. Do you hear that? Someone who has the nerve, the courage to take responsibility when things go wrong. And somebody who has the generosity to share when things go right. Somebody who can look out and see that there are others around me and that I want to bring out the best in them because 
I walked in this earth. That's what it means to be called. That, that, that somebody else has a claim to your life. You are not your own. This is from the Heidelberg Catechism. I read it a few weeks ago. We, we professed it as our profession of faith a few weeks ago. That, what is my only hope in life and in death? It says that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his pre- precious blood and has set me free from all the power of evil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Now, I wanted to read that to you because, you see, there are going to be times when each one of us needs that assurance that God is sovereign over every circumstance. And even in the twists and turns, when you get lost, he's sovereign. His will for you is so dynamic. But he wants you to live like that oxen unmuzzled on the threshing floor to enjoy him and to enjoy his call on your life. You are called. You're called. Abraham left with a strong sense of vision, of vision and conviction that he was not his own. But he did so in such a way that he recognized that he wasn't just called to a task, but he was called out of himself, called for the benefit of those around him. He was called out. The Christian life is always an inside out, outward call. You know, churches, churches suffer from being too inward. One of the reasons why I love our World Mission Conference that we you know, completed just a few weeks ago is that it continue, we know that every year we're gonna be called out in a big and bold way. I love these short-term mission trips that we take in the summer times because we're called to take some risks, to be courageous, to step out of our comfort zone and to, to mix and mingle with people that are very unlike us, to do things that we don't know that we're gonna be equipped to do. To be called outward is to be called to be used of God as an instrument of benefit and of peace, of faith, hope, and love in somebody else's life outward. We're called, but we're called outward, called out. Verse 9, it talks about how Abraham was called to inherit something, but it always yokes it with his heirs. Yeah, you hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham understood, look, there's a planned obsolescence in, in, in his life. He, he, he recognized he needed a succession plan in this. And, and he trusted that, that even though you see in verse 13 that, that he steps out and, and that there were promises that he could only see from a distance, but they were still motivating. Why? Because he knew they would benefit Isaac and Jacob. You see, he recognized that the call on his life was to take the whole of his life and to be a witness for the benefit of those who are coming behind him, especially. A witness. A witness. Now, that's, that, sounds like, that sounds like just sort of an innocuous word, witness. You know, maybe it starts to feel a little bit more sharp or sharply in focus when you think of a witness stand. But when you go back to the original word, the, the original language, listen to what the root sounds like. Marturone. Marturone. What does that sound like? Martyr. It's used hundreds of times in the New Testament. 
You are witnesses. Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you don't have something worth dying for, you might not have something worth living for. That doesn't mean that we're going out and looking for uh, bullets that we can jump in front of, but it does mean that it, unless you have something that's so motivating that, that maybe you're gonna burn the candle at both ends sometimes just because you're so excited about it. Is there something that's waking you up early, something that's keeping you up late at night? Or maybe you don't have the focus that you could have that comes from being called, called out, called out to the benefit of those around you, called outward to see others flourish. You know, 2 Peter 3.16 says this, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Now, a lot of times the way we hear this is, we hear this as like, okay, if somebody doesn't, is living a life that's sort of just sort of self-centered and secular, and they don't know Christ, and they don't have a sense of faith, and suddenly they start asking us spiritual questions, that suddenly we're just supposed to download one of Aquinas' five arguments for God. Oh, here's, have you heard of the teleological argument, or the cosmological argument? Boom, and you're supposed to just kind of blast them with sort of gospel information, gospel weaponry, or something like, gospel guns, boom, you got them. I don't think that's what Second Peter 3.16 is saying. Always be prepared to be a witness, to give an answer. Always be prepared to let your life speak, the whole of your life. Is the whole of your life speaking something outwardly? I mean, everything that, that is you, from your spiritual gifts to your heart, your ability, your personality, your experiences, your attitude, to your achievements and everything in between. Can you see that Abraham's walk and witness, his whole life speaks? Oh gosh, you know, I chuckle at the same things you all chuckle at when people sort of make jokes about pastors being in a certain kind of box and all that. But it also, it also gives me just a little bit of a, a catch. And I think, ah, Are we putting faith into some little safe little box, right, when we do that? Oh, watch out, here comes the pastor. Everybody straighten up, fly right. <laughs> Somebody said to our neighbors, oh, I must be great living near Tim. He keeps an eye, and I'm like, they keep an eye on me too, people. I'm a man, not just a pastor in this little box. I'm a person, just like you. And I want, I want the things that I say to represent the whole, not just the part, don't you? I mean, if we're going to bear witness, if we're going to bear witness to the hope that lies within us, it better simply be a confirmation of what people are already seeing in us. You know, when, when China began to open up to the West, there was a demand for the English language to be taught. So people who were teaching English as a second language were flooding into the country. And there was one woman in particular who understood that there was such a great platform in teaching people English to, to share the faith and to share uh, Christianity, people who had, had been cut off from it, who had never heard the gospel. But also she had this strong sense of conviction that it, it, better, it better be reflected in everything that we do. And so, so she walked into the class the first day and she said this. She said, uh, I just want you to put down your books. I just want you to put down your pens. And I just want you to, to think and to close your eyes and to breathe. And she walked out of the classroom 
And she came back in. And she said, what did you notice about me after I had left? And they were just sort of scrounging around, looking at each other, trying to find an answer. And so, some, finally, somebody who was sort of sitting on the aisle there, she said, she said, well, I noticed that you had a beautiful perfume that lingered in the air after you left. And she said, yes, that's exactly what I wanted you to notice. I put on a little extra this morning. I wanted you to have that sense of fragrance that, that even when uh, I'm not speaking or teaching or anything that I'm doing, that there's something that speaks about my life, that there's something fragrant about my life. No matter whether I'm speaking the four spiritual laws or whether I'm downloading one of Aquinas' five arguments, that my life is speaking of the hope that lies within, no matter what, no matter what I'm about. See, we're called outward to be a witness. The way we live, how we live, priorities that we make, the, 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 the demeanor that we carry around with us, the way that we deal with the shadow people, the people that, you know, just sort of, you know, kind of check boxes for us. And that, that, that there's not pressure, but there's opportunity in the fact that people are watching you. People are watching you. I always remember that when I'm in a grocery store or lots of other kinds of stores too. Like, hey, we saw you in there. Oh, what was I doing, you know? I hope I was flying right, you know? People are always watching. Do you feel that as pressure or do you feel it as opportunity? Abraham saw it as opportunity. And finally, he saw it as opportunity because he recognized... <laughs> got your attention, didn't I? Thank you. Right on cue, perfect. Now I know how John Wood felt during the World Mission Conference. <laughs> He's like, what kind of place have I come to here? Speaking of gospel, it would have been better at the gospel guns, though, wouldn't it? Like gospel guns, poof, right? Oh, well. Abraham got the attention of the people around him because he realized he had something definite to live for. Definite. He had focus. He had a vision, in other words. You see, we're called. Every one of us is called outward to leave things better. What does it say in verse 10? It says, Look at this. Look at this very closely. For he was looking forward, okay, that's, he was looking forward to the city, the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What's he talking about? He's talking about an eternal city. He's talking about the restoration, the consummation of all things. That there was a confidence that that all of human history is bending towards something purposed by God and that we're called into a focus. You know, sometimes I, I, I picture this, you know, our church activity a little bit. When, when we try to get some focus, I use this illustration when I'm talking to some of our elders and deacons. It's like, you know, we don't want to just be like that boy who shot a bunch of arrows at, uh, you know, when we're talking about the church year and all the things that we're planning for the, for the year, we don't want to be just like that boy who shot a bunch of arrows at the side of a barn and then took a spray paint can and just sort of drew targets around and said, I am a success, right? We want to draw the target first, right? And this is the target, that God is renewing everything. He's bringing everything into consummation. City of God 
Augustine's great work, he, he really, uh, the, the whole work revolves around this idea of the city of, of God. You know, in, in that, that movie Gladiator, when uh, Marcus Aurelius is talking to this, the, 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 the general who he hopes will be his successor, it doesn't work out that way, but he's, he's talking about this dream that he has of Rome, and he says that, that, that there was a dream of Rome, and it was so fragile, but it's so beautiful that we could only just whisper about it, just whisper about it. Well, that, that got under my skin. I thought, that's exactly what Augustine is, is doing. He's helping Rome tell a greater narrative about itself. Do you feel equipped to do that? Do you know, do you know these scriptures? Do you understand creation, fall, redemption, consummation in such a way that you can help the people around you Thomasville, Georgia, do you have a vision for your family? Do you have a vision for this town, for your job, for your roles? Do you have a vision where you recognize that we're, we're curving towards a city of God, that there's a hopeful vision, that all of these things are coming to fruition? Do you have a vision for your life? Or are you just reacting to the bad things that happen in culture. You know, sometimes we just sort of cherry pick. Like people on the left, they cherry pick some kind of issue and they're mad about it and they, they, they sort of say, you know, uh, you, you all uh, are, are oppressive and all of this and we're gonna tear this down. People on the right are also often very defensive and they just sort of pick on one particular issue or react to a particular issue, but never helping Rome tell a better story of itself and helping... Even the people that might disagree with them say, isn't this a beautiful vision that we can all embrace? You see, this is part of what we're called to be able to do, to be for, not just to shame people into a quick fix so that we feel more comfortable in our culture, but for us to recognize there is an inevitable consummation of all things, and we want to be on target with it. You know, you're called. You can get lost, but call is the way back. It's the way back to understanding how we're called. And Frederick Buechner put it like this. He said, the place where you're called, the place where you are called is where your deep gladness and the world's great need come together. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that when you've called us to follow us, you haven't left us with something fuzzy or vague, but you've given us the tools for the project you've called us to help be a part of building. A city of God, a city on a hill, a city that gleams and shines, a city of faith and hope and love. Lord, would you shape us over these weeks to know our call, in Jesus' name, amen.